Parshat Kitisa deals with one of the tragic stories in the Torah, the sin of the golden calf, which comes on the heels of receiving the Torah at Mansane. In this week's Sicha, we're going to explore a Rashi, which seemingly deals with translating a few words, but it leads us down a rabbit hole regarding Aaron's responsibility in the whole mess. Was he guilty? Was he innocent? Maybe a little bit of both? Now that is going to bring us to a halachic question about intention and deed. And finally, we're going to find ourselves discussing idolatry, a really beautiful explanation about how the prohibition against idolatry still applies today and how to avoid being idolatrous in our daily life. I hope you stick with us in this very, very beautiful sicha. Side note, we are looking for sponsors for this podcast, so if you're interested in becoming a weekly or a monthly sponsor in honor of somebody or in memory of somebody, please email me at rabbi.estrin at gmail.com. Okay, let's review the background. So, of course, the Jewish people have received the Torah at Mount Sinai, and Moses tells them he's going to be back in 40 days. On the 40th day, the Jewish people come to Aaron and they say, We don't know what happened to Moses. Make gods for us, and they will lead us. And Aaron responds, bring me your gold. He takes the gold, and then the Torah uses the term, Vayatsar Oto Bacheret. What does that mean? What did Aaron do? So Rashi interprets that, those words and gives, tells us that there are two different places in the Torah where those similar words are used, and each of those places can allude to two different ways of looking at things. On one hand, we have the term tied, Vayatsar can mean tied, Cheret can mean in some kind of scarf. So that opinion would mean that he took all the gold and he put it in some kind of sack and tied it up. The second opinion is that Vayatsar Oto Bacheret is from the term engraving, and he engraved it with a goldsmith's tool, and he carved out this calf. So you have these two different opinions as to what happened. And the question, of course, is why does Rashi need both of those opinions? Usually, the Rebbe points out that when, when Rashi brings two or more opinions, usually it's because there's a flaw in one of them that is not in the other, and then there's a flaw in the second interpretation which is not in the first. And he, that's one of the styles of interpreting Rashi that we'll see very often. Here, Rashi has a very, very unique introduction. He says there, this can be interpreted in two different ways. Rashi usually does not introduce his explanation with a term like that, and the Rebbe explains the reason why is because in this case, both answers are equally applicable to the verse. Both answers have equally applicable flaws. And so let's go through them. The first explanation was with regards to tying a scarf. So actually, there's a similar word that's found in the story of Joseph and his brothers, but the word there is tsror with two of the letter resh. And so it's not 100%, 100% similar to the word vayatsar, which is the word that's found here. So grammatically, it wouldn't necessarily work 100%. And that's the reason why Rashi does not use that original source. Instead, he uses two other sources from Isaiah and from Kings. Once again, he uses two sources, and the reason why is because each one of them is slightly problematic. The first verse is from Isaiah, and it's 
the words Ve'acharitim. And the second verse is from Kings, and that one is Bishnei Haritim. The problem with that is that the word is Cheret in our verse. So if we're talking about a plural word, it should be pronounced Haratim, not Haritim. And so that's the reason why he brings a second verse from Kings to prove that we are indeed talking about a pouch or a scarf of some type, where you have the same word and the same context. So here's the problem with this interpretation. If all Aaron did was tie it up into a pouch or into a scarf of some type, why is Aaron getting all the blame? What did he do wrong? Rashi acknowledges this problem with this interpretation, and that's the reason why he brings in a second opinion, a second explanation. The second explanation was that, that Aaron actually carved the golden calf means that he carved it with a carving tool used by goldsmiths. The problem with that explanation is that Aaron later makes a comment with evident surprise. He says, I threw, it into the, I threw the gold into the fire and this calf came out. And Rashi explains that this was due to the Egyptian mixed multitude that came along with the Jewish people. Some of them dabbled in the black arts, and so they were the ones who made the calf through witchcraft. So if he was the one who actually carved the calf, then how could he make this comment, you know, I, I just threw it into the fire and this calf came out. So therefore, because of the two problems, the problem with the first uh, uh, the first explanation that, that doesn't seem like Aaron did anything wrong, and according to the second opinion, where it seems like Aaron did everything wrong. So therefore, Rashi brings both explanations. Now, here's the question that comes up that Rashi does not ask straight out. How, immediately after the incredible spiritual experience of the uh, giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the revelations and all the different things that happened there, how could they have fallen so low as to find themselves worshipping an idol? So the Rebbe explains that Rashi doesn't answer this question directly because the answer to this question is already alluded to in the verses themselves and in Rashi's explanation of those verses. So when we look at the complaint that the Jewish people brought to Aaron, the people saw that Moses was late coming down from the mountain, and they congregated around Aaron. They said to him, Arise, make us Elohim that will lead us. Because Moses, who brought us out from Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So Elohim is typically translated as gods, but the word Elohim does not only mean gods, and the word actually means powers. And in other places in the Torah, the word Elohim means judges or people of power. And so the Rebbe says that actually what the Jewish people were asking Aaron was that they wanted a leader or a guide of some type. In other words, they're not saying that they want to replace God. They want to replace Moses and whatever Moses had done for them as being an intermediary or a guide for them. It was only later when things got out of hand that it turned into idol worship. So what was going to be accomplished with the gold and silver? The cherubs were these uh, statues of some type that stood in the uh, tent of meeting, in the tabernacle. The Torah tells us that the voice of God came out from between the wings of the cherubs. Now, the cherubs had not yet been built. And in fact, there was a later verse, a later command to the Jewish people, that you shall not make 
gods of gold and gods of silver, and Rashi explains that, that that doesn't actually refer to idolatry, it refers to making cherubs in the synagogues. They had not yet received this mitzvah, but this was obviously some kind of concept that they were familiar with, that there would be some kind of mechanism that would be in the tabernacle through which God would guide them. There's no question that Aaron was looking to delay their uh, excitement because he knew that Moses would eventually be coming down from the mountain. And so his collection of gold, which was what he was intending for, was, as he said, tomorrow will be a holiday for God. Tomorrow will be a festival for God himself, not for whatever is going to happen right now. But he was attempting to deflect whatever was going on. And that's actually what Aaron later says. I did not know that this calf would come out even according to the second opinion, which says that he was actually involved with, with uh, carving it, meaning that he did not expect this idolatrous calf, this, this object of idol worship to come out from this entire experience. He thought that what he was expecting to be able to have an answer for the Jewish people to their request to have some kind of guide, some kind of intermediary between themselves and God, and that's the reason why he did what he did. This is all slightly alluded to when Rashi quotes the verse, She's trying to explain to us that the word cheret refers to the type of tool that's used by goldsmiths in order to be able to carve the gold. The verse means, write upon it with a script readable to all men. The word enosh means all men. But the name Enosh is also a reference to a biblical character, the pre-Noah character by the name of Enosh. And Enosh was the first person to serve idol worship. His reasoning behind the concept of idol worship was as follows. He thought to himself, you know, you have the sun, the moon, the constellations, and you have all of their impact on the world. Uh, how they provide energy, nutrients to the plants, and all that. And so therefore, we need to thank them for doing what God asked them to do. So the origin of idol worship was recognizing the power that's invested in nature, and therefore thanking nature as, to, as being a tool of God. The problem with that is that nature doesn't have any choice. So you're not, you can't thank nature but for being its own self-entity, when in fact it's just a tool that's used by God, similar to a wood chopper who's using an axe. You don't thank the axe for chopping the wood. It's completely subservient to the person who's holding it. And the same held true of Moses. Moses was not being his own self-entity here. He was just being an intermediary through which God communicating to the Jewish people exactly what they should do. So the request itself that we need a guide might have been true for the moment, while the Jewish people obviously should have had the patience to be able to wait for Moses to come down from the mountain. But at the same time, it eventually like idol worship itself, it eventually became a service to something besides for God. Eventually, it just became that much easier to forget about God in the entire equation, and that's what happened here as well. So this part of the conversation spins us off into a lucky question of whether someone's idolatrous intention can cause someone else's property to become forbidden. Aaron did not actively make the gold into an idol-worshipping entity, 
because he only asked the Jewish people to bring him the gold, not that they give him the gold. He wanted to have nothing to do with idolatry as well, as you can tell by his entire reaction to everything. But the Talmud points out that the Jewish people's reaction points that they were retroactively interested in and accepting of idolatry. When did their retroactive intent come into fruition in terms of the actual gold and make the gold actually forbidden? Only when the golden calf was actually being worshipped as opposed to when they made the statement, let's go worship it. In any case, we can conclude that Aaron's connection to the whole episode was purely his response to dealing with their their complaints and the original problem, which was, of course, Moses' disappearance and the people's lack of a leader and guide coming from God, and he was not actively interested in idolatry at all. So what's the take-home lesson for us? So the Rebbe points out that there are three terms in this Rashi that can teach us about idolatry and how we need to avoid it. And it's a very beautiful explanation. The Rashi begins with Shnei Pirushim, that there are two explanations. Judaism, of course, includes multiplicity within itself. Uh, There's a variety of opinions. There's a variety of ways to be able to serve God. But those things need to be focused on the oneness of God. They need to all come back to the unity of God and the unity of the Jewish people with God. And that needs to be the focus. Idolatry begins with the concept of in Rashi's words, Shnei Pirushim. There are two explanations. As soon as a person starts looking at the two explanations, the two ideas as being some kind of duality, even though it's coming from the Torah and it itself is built into the Torah, that division itself is the source of idolatry. And from that step, a a person can go from there, spiritually speaking, to the next step, which is the first Uh, explanation of Rashi, where Rashi uses the term yesh omrim, there are those that say. And that refers to the person themselves becoming a yesh, becoming a a, a self-existent entity uh, aside from godliness and aside from Torah and Judaism. As soon as a person starts to feel their own existence and, and feel some kind of distance from God, even though we are truly united with God, that is the next step in moving towards idolatry. And this explanation is where uh, Aaron tied up the gold into a scarf. There's no idol worship actually happening, but this is the prelude to serving an idol. And finally, the second explanation, Rashi uses the terms davar acher, which means another explanation or something else. And the terms something else refers to something that's truly disconnected from God completely. And this is the interpretation, of course, that Aaron actually carved the calf himself. How did these things happen? These things happened because of, as the verse uses immediately before this words, vait parku. And that Rashi says that it means unloading a burden. When a person looks at Judaism as a burden on themselves, and a person doesn't look at it as a zchut, as a merit, or as something that they're gaining from the relationship, and instead it becomes a burden, that's the beginning of every downfall. And that's the beginning of, God forbid, idol worship in our own lives. The antidote to that 
is what the Jewish women and the children were completely invested. They did not get involved with the golden calf at all. And the reason is because, the Torah tells us, is because of their faith. They had pure and absolute faith in God, in Moses, and so therefore they didn't get involved with the golden calf. And likewise, with regards to ourselves, in order to be able to avoid idolatry, we need to reach deeper into ourselves and invigorate that internal faith and belief in God and Judaism and put our own selfish desires aside, certainly not look at Judaism as a burden, but as, of course, the great merit that it is. And through that, we will be able to serve God completely and totally with the happiness and joy that comes from living a life of purpose and meaning in a godly way.